Pondering the Bible. A deeper dive into the books of the Bible. Greetings and welcome to Pondering the Bible. I'm your co-host, Ken Corkins, and with me, as always, is my longtime friend and pastor, Rocky Ellison. Hello. This is Season 3, Episode 6, and we pray that we're sponsored by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So is it hot enough for you? I am <laughs> I am melting. 110. I am melting. This is brutal. It looks like it wants to rain out there. It looks like we got some dark clouds. So I'm going to bet that we don't get any dang rain. That's, that's my hunch. That's pretty much how it works. It just <laughs> teases us with the rain. <laughs> All right. So we're back. We're still in Ezra. Yep. Uh, what chapter and verses are we covering this week? Tonight we're moving into chapter four. We are going to read out loud verses one through seven. Uh, and then we're um, and then we're going to skip verses eight through twenty-two. We'll talk about them later, but we're not going to read them tonight. Uh, and then we'll read verses twenty-three and twenty-four to finish the chapter. And what translation are we reading from? New Living Translation. Um, in this particular uh, section, uh, if you read one of the real academic texts, it. It can be hard to understand what month are they talking about, what people are they talking about. It's a very accurate translation, but they can be very confusing. Uh, the NLT tonight gives us those those months, those dates, those people, uh, even though they're not specifically written in the original text. Okay. The enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were rebuilding a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. So they approached Zerubbabel and the leaders and said, Let us build with you, for we worship your God just as you do. We have sacrificed to him ever since King Esarhaddon of Assyria brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Yeshua, and the other leaders of Israel replied, you may have no part in this work. We alone will build the temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, just as King Cyrus of Persia commanded us. Then the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They bribed agents to work against them and to frustrate their plans. This went on during the entire reign of King Cyrus of Persia and lasted until King Darius of Persia took the throne. Years later, when Xerxes began his reign, the enemies of Judah wrote a letter of accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Even later, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, the enemies of Judah, led by Bishlam, Mithridath, and Tabil, sent a letter to Artaxerxes in the Aramaic language, and it was translated for the king. I'm going to skip the letters, and I'm going to jump to the end of the chapter, verse 23. When this letter from King Artaxerxes was read to Rahim, Shimshai, and their colleagues, they hurried to Jerusalem. Then with a show of strength, they forced the Jews to stop building. So the work on the temple of God in Jerusalem had stopped, and it remained at a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. Amen. So this covers a lot of time. Yeah. Right, we got a bunch yeah. of king changes happening while this uh, bickering, if you will, is going on. Let's start out with the 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 beginning, the enemies of Judah and Benjamin. Why do they call out Benjamin? I mean, Benjamin is a tiny little part, right. north part of Judah, but they're not 
normally call that. It's usually just referred to as the whole area of yeah, Judah. Yeah, yeah. When, when the 12 tribes originally settle in uh, what will become Israel under uh, Joshua, Judah, the tribe of Judah, is given the largest section. They're given almost all of the southern land. But right in the middle of them is this tiny, tiny little geographic area. If I wasn't so small, I could be like Tigger. For the tribe of Benjamin, which right. was a really small tribe. And so throughout most of Ezra, we've, we've sort of ignored Benjamin as if it was only Judah that went to exile and only Judah that came back uh, 70 years later. But if there were Benjaminites they would have been in the exile and would have been brought home as well. So technically, they are part of the returnees, um, but but they've been pretty much ignored because they're like 5% of the population. Right. The Judas and the Benjaminites. Yeah. All right. And so who are these enemies? And I have my idea. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. These are the northern people. These were the people after the northern part of Israel was banished. Yep. Um Babylon and Syria moved all their rich people in, said, here, go take some great land, you know, be rich, be famous over there. And But they've eventually turned into what we would now call Samaritans. That's exactly right. That's exactly so now, right. But they are God worshipers. They're actually polytheistic. Okay. Um, yes, the Assyrian lords are brought into to what used to be the northern part of Israel, and they get to populate it. Um, and they marry all of these Hebrew women who were left behind, who weren't taken as slaves to Nineveh. And their children are half blood, right? Half Assyrian, half Hebrew. And um, they, the whip mothers teach their children, there is one God, there is one Lord, and his temple is in Jerusalem, and we worship him there. Uh, and the Assyrian husbands seem to be okay with them going south, taking money, worshiping in the temple. Um, but they also have their gods, and they say to their wives, you know, your god didn't do a very good job of protecting you. When I came in here as a raider, uh, your first husband was hauled away and died in slavery somewhere. Where's your god now? Um, so maybe we ought to pray to my gods too. So technically, although the Samaritans do worship the one true god— their families also have other gods. So maybe mom never worships the other gods, but dad does, and the kids are being influenced that way. So there's a big rap on the Samaritans that, although they've built their own temple to God, mm -hmm. they're still polytheistic. They, they don't just worship God. Okay. Um, but now they're coming... These northerners. The Northerner has been accused of terrorizing London by walking around saying hello. Yeah, the northern invaders. Uh, they're coming in saying, hey, we worship God too. Let us help you. Are they being, we don't know for fact, but are they being actually helpful or are they just coming in to maybe tear things up and make a mess? <laughs> up to this point, um, the book of, of Ezra has been written in ancient Hebrew. And the wording is not is very negative when it says they came and offered their help. Uh, the way it's written in the in the ancient Hebrew is um, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Say no more. They're okay. not really there to help, which is why when they're turned down so quickly, they resort to uh, evil behind the backs of the uh, of the rebuilders. Right. I think we talked already about Zerubbabel and Yeshua. Still having those old uh, hatred of those northern folk. Uh, and so when they say, let us come help, 
Zerubbabel and Yeshua say, <laughs> no way, get out of here, you mudbloods, right? Yeah, Essentially. Yeah. And so when he, when they turned down the assistance, the offer of assistance, I guess, um, now the, the northern people are going to cause trouble and just be a pain in the butt for the next what, 100, 200 years? Right? Yeah. Zerubbabel is is actually trying to be kind of diplomatic. His answer in verse 3 is, uh, we would let you help, but when King Cyrus told us we could come home, he told us we had to rebuild <laughs> the temple. So uh, I know it's a technicality, but you don't want to mess with the government. You don't want to mess with the king. So I'm afraid we're going to have to tell you no, is what Zerubbabel basically says. To them. Right. He appeals to authority. Said, king Cyrus said no. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not me. It's not me. <laughs> if it was just up if to me. If it was just up to me, ah, with open arms. Right. But the king says no. So sorry. Thanks, but no thanks. Mommy said no. At which point then, yeah, the Samaritans start bribing uh Persian officials to come and shut them down. And so apparently we go through about a year of work starts, then work stops, and then work starts, and then work stops. And it just, uh, officials keep coming in and finding, you know, it's like having OSHA. Or building inspectors <laughs> coming yes, in. Yeah. Yes, You need to fix that before you can continue, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it, they, it, and so the next year is just really not a good year for construction. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and it's we jump in verse six. It says years later, yeah, when Xerxes begins his reign. And I had to look it up because this can be kind of confusing. There are a lot of people. Uh, there are a lot of kings of Assyria. Yeah, go ahead and go through the list. There. So Cyrus the Great. Who started this whole That's thing. the one that let them all go home. Right. Uh, he reigned from uh, 550 to 530, so about 20 years. Yeah. He sent the exiles back. Um, for about a, a little short time, there was another king that we never hear about named Cambyses. Yeah, Cambyses. Um, he doesn't do much. The next uh, king is Darius the Great. He's Darius the First. And he reigns for a very long time. Uh, he reigns for 36 years. Uh, and he's best known for conquering Egypt, and he's where we get Zoroastrianism from. He's yeah. one of the first adherents to yeah. Zoroastrianism. Yeah. Um, so after Darius, and so we cover some, we talk about Darius, but there's actually three different Dariuses in history. So we got to be careful. <laughs> uh, after Darius, we get to Xerxes the uh, first, and he reigns for twenty years from four eighty five to four sixty five. Now you might know Xerxes if you've ever seen the money, the movie The Three Hundred, yes, and the Battle of Theopolis, yes. That's that king Xerxes. Yeah, he's also the king that's mentioned in the Book of Esther. Yes, the same Esther, the yes. same Xerxes is in Esther. Yep. Uh, and then we get to a second Darius uh, for another twenty years, and then Artaxerxes, and then there's another Darius after that. So it gets a little bit confusing. Yes, so it does. Years later, when Xerxes, so now we're I didn't do it math here. Math sucks. It's almost 100 years from Cyrus to Xerxes, almost yeah. 100 years. Yeah. So it's been a little tumultuous, yeah, challenging to yeah. rebuild the temple and the city walls for the re, re, uh, rehomed uh, Judah and Benjamites. Yeah. Um, I, we skipped over reading uh, in, in the letters uh, because the letters cover 
40 to 50 years. And it's not just one letter in the verses 8 through 22. It's either three or four letters, depending. It's it's kind of difficult to tell. But uh, so it's not that the Samaritans just wrote a letter mm-hmm. and shut down the building of the temple. Every decade, they write another letter complaining uh, and make sure that there's no work going on. And and this goes on for, for like I said, 40 to 50 years mm-hmm. uh, that this happens. And so what's really interesting is... But it is interesting. We talked about the Samaritans were half Assyrian, half uh, Hebrew. Uh, and so the language they developed was half Assyrian, half Hebrew. And we call that Aramaic. Oh, interesting. Which... People have probably heard that's the language Jesus grew up speaking. In Galilee, they spoke Aramaic. Because they were north. Because they were in the north. That was their primary language. Um, Today, I guess the closest uh, uh, equivalent would be Spanglish. Right. You have families where the kids speak English and every other word is is Spanish and it's maybe spoken with a Spanish accent. Because grandma and granddad only speak Spanish right, in the house. Right. And so it's yeah. this this weird mix of, of of English and Spanish. The northerners spoke this weird mix of Assyrian and and Hebrew called Aramaic. So Jesus, when he first comes down south to Jerusalem and hi, I'm the Messiah, and people are going no, the Messiah doesn't speak Aramaic and he doesn't, you know, dress like a lowrider. Right. He doesn't. No, no, no. That's not our mental image. He's pure Hebrew. He's right. only going to speak the best, most fluent Hebrew. And but, with a northern accent. And right? with a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Aramaic, this language of the Samaritans is also, Jesus could speak Hebrew and mm-hmm. he could speak Greek. We know this from the New Testament, but his native tongue, what he just spoke when he and the boys were sitting around, uh, was Aramaic. And the book of Ezra, starting in chapter 4, verse 6, switches to Aramaic. No longer ancient Hebrew. Oh, really? In the original text? Yeah, in the original text. And it's going to stay Aramaic until chapter 7, verse 1, which implies to us then, these are the actual letters that were mailed to the various Persian kings. Otherwise, there's no reason to put them in in Aramaic. Why not? If they, if you're just telling the story, wouldn't you do them in the ancient Hebrew that you've been telling the first right, or three the chapters? Greek when you're writing it down 100, it, 200 it, years later? Exactly. So it leads us to believe that these are the that as the compiler of Ezra, we know he had access to all sorts of government documents. It appears he had access to the original letters the Samaritans wrote to the kings of Persia. Uh, so when he tells us what's in them, I think it's incredibly accurate. And that's that's why we're reading it in, in Aramaic. That's very cool. If you go through uh, those 14 verses, 8 through 22, uh, the first thing that jumps out at you is the issue is not the temple. Hmm. The issue is the city walls. Right. That's what the Samaritans are concerned about. They don't care if, if the Jews worship in their own temple again. The Samaritans have got their own. They're not worried about money and people going south. Uh, so religion really isn't their big problem. Their problem is they don't want to see a strong Jerusalem. Right. And so they begin writing these horrible letters that are just... Uh, it's just pure out slander. It's, King, you know that the Jews have always been rebellious. Right. Always been that way. They've always caused trouble. Trouble, trouble, make it, yeah, the 
what's your middle name? You know they're not going to pay you taxes anymore. Right. As no, soon as those walls come up, they're going to declare themselves independent and, and no longer pay your taxes. You, and it's going to hurt you. You know this <laughs> will happen. Well, they can't prove that. There's there's actually no evidence of that whatsoever. But that's what they threaten the Persian kings with. And we know um, uh, after uh, what Cambyses, the, uh, the Darius that takes over after uh, Cambyses, the day he becomes king, several of his satrapies far away from, from his capital declare independence. They, yeah. And so he's had to squash a couple of revolutions. Say you want a revolution. Well, you know, we all want to change the world. In his first year as, as king. So when he gets this letter from the Samaritan says, the Jews are going to go down that path. There's no doubt in anybody's mind. You let them rebuild the walls. That's what's going to happen. And so Darius agrees and writes back. He writes back in by the time we get to verses 21, 22 and says, yeah, you're probably right. Shut them down. Don't let them build. But when he says shut them down, don't let them build. He's talking about the walls, not about the temple. And it's going to take uh, Zerubbabel a few years to work out with the officials it's not the temple. We can rebuild the temple. So, in fact, they are going to go back to building the temple. But for the next 40 years, no walls. Right. Yeah. I, I, we didn't read it out loud, but I, I laugh when I read verse 14 or 16. Since we are your loyal subjects, right? They're butt kissers, <laughs> right? Since we, we wanted to let you know that these bad Jews have had this history. Yeah. <laughs> And we're just looking out for you, King. <laughs> I laughed at the, the buttering up and all that funny stuff. <laughs> to me, it's just a boo liquor. A boo liquor. The king of Assyria, Rice Bax, says, shut him down. We, yep, Darius. Uh, we get letters back from a bunch of different yeah, we people. Get Darius, yeah, Darius we get does. Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes back then, yeah, writes back. So that's a few years later. But yeah. um, he basically says, stop building the walls. That's it. Stop everything. Yeah. Um, and so then we get to, so now what happens? They've shut down construction and Zerubbabel says, oh, we better, you know, the new king, because that king can override the old king. Yeah. Shut down, shut us down. Now what do we do? So what do the uh, Judahites do now? So they start sending letters to their own. We don't need walls. We just need a place to worship. If you remember Cyrus promised us we could have a temple. He even gave us money for a temple. And he has to negotiate back and forth. It takes a couple of years of negotiating before he finally gets a letter that says, you can do the temple, but we're going to watch you really close and make sure this isn't a ruse to start rebuilding the walls. But as long as you just do temple, you can do that. So four to six years after it's all initially shut down because of the Samaritan letters, the Jews rebuild their temple and do finally get one completed. Uh, again, because they have to do it in a hurry and because they're afraid that that it won't be allowed to be completed and because there's so many starts and stops, it's not a very good temple. It's The world agrees that's a crummy temple. <laughs> it's a really – it meets the the bare minimum, but it's it's not where you would expect the God to be. That's not good enough. That's interesting. Yeah, it was kind of a haphazard. We got to get it done. Well, we can get it done. Don't worry about getting the get it perfect. Just yeah. get something up. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and we're going to see a change. Well, not 
We're not going to see a change in Jewish religion. We're going to see a change that has taken place expressed. We know that when they were in Babylon, uh, they began to believe God is everywhere. Mm -hmm. God isn't just in the temple. God is everywhere. And and that means everywhere could be God's temple then, depending on your perspective. And what we're going to see in Ezra is that even after they get the temple built, the fact that their city is still vulnerable leaves them feeling religiously incomplete. Hmm. My people live in this city. My people are at risk, so my temple isn't finished. And we will see uh, the Jews transition from the temple is one building to the temple is the whole city of Jerusalem to I am the temple of God. Right. We see that come most notably with Jesus. Yeah. But this is where that movement, if you will, starts is I don't have to have a building. That's not the only place God can be. Eventually we come to the realization that God lives within me and I'm a living temple. And we're going to see Paul write that over and over and over. Don't you know you are the temple of God? And that, that whole mind shift from it's just one building in one place takes place here in Ezra. Interesting. Okay, so looking at, I mean, I'm going to give you a little what's coming up in chapter 5, kind of looking ahead, what happens next? We'll see them go back to, to working on the temple after all those letters have been exchanged, and we'll see Zerubbabel finally get it finished uh, in, in chapter 5, and we'll and that's also where we'll see them. We'll start to see this idea of, we got the temple, but I'm not fulfilled. There's something missing. A sea without walls is just ripe for being run over. Yeah. You know, just that's, that was your defense with yeah. the city walls. Yeah. And I believe we, we talked about um, part of the reason that Cyrus wanted Jerusalem rebuilt was he needed a stopgap between Egypt and Assyria. Cyrus. Yeah. In Cyrus's original letter, he wanted the walls rebuilt. He needed a formidable force halfway between him and Cairo. But then Darius comes along and takes over Egypt, so now it's not such a big deal, yeah, apparently. Yeah. So, interesting. And so it's going to be another 70 years before the walls of the city are completed. Uh, and that's when Ezra and Nehemiah show up. We're still seven decades away from Ezra even showing up in his own book. Right. That's not, <laughs> Nehemiah is the story of the walls being built. So yeah. Good deal. Okay. So have you given a sermon title yet? Calling this one No Good Deed, because no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> Unpunished. Poor Zerubbabel is trying so hard to just build a temple. That's all I want to do. And the guy just keeps getting whacked down. No joke. <laughs> so if you'd like to listen to the sermon that Rocky delivers, it'll be on our website at www.ponderumc.org. Uh, the top is a menu called Ministries. Pull that down to Sermons. Look for the sermon, No Good Deed. And this will have been delivered on July 24th, 2022. With that, I think we'll close this episode with a bit of wisdom. Okay. People are funny. They want to be in the front of the bus, the middle of the road, and the back of the church. (laughs) (laughs) This is Ken Corkins and Rocky Ellison reminding you to love God and be nice to people. Thank you for listening. You can find us at www.ponderumc.org. There, you can watch the live stream of our casual service, listen to replays of this and past sermons, 
and find other interesting information about us. This has been Pondering the Bible. Really?